Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, it's really, really simple. Either me, the guest, or both of us sometimes are experiencing something for the first time, and that is the case today. We're going to talk about a movie, and I have a longtime friend on this uh, episode. He's the host of Attack of the Killer Podcast, Midnight Snacks Podcast, and one half of Prescribed Films. Insane Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's great to be back. It's been a while, like all the way back to, what was it, the first episode? Yeah, the Twin Peaks yeah, one Twin where Peaks. that sort of started this whole thing. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I just, I was dying to get you guys to watch it. Finally did. And as as you know, it's almost uh, impossible to consume something without talking about it on a podcast. But uh, Yeah, for sure. So... Most of my listeners probably know about Attack of the Killer podcast, so we won't spend too much time on that. I plug it almost every episode. But what's going on with Midnight Snacks? I know you did release one in 2020. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm here. Um, I have another episode ready to go. Uh, I'm thinking about like just continuing to pause for a while and build up a few more episodes so I can get them out a little more regularly. Uh, but, uh, it feels like every time I go to sit down to work on midnight snacks, it's like, oh yeah, we have a episode of attack of the killer podcast coming up. So I probably should work on that first. So but uh, it'll be back. It'll be back. I was going to say, let my listeners, cause, uh, I don't know if they know about this one. I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this, you should probably check out, uh, you know, all the podcasts on prescribed films, podcast network, but, uh, what is midnight snacks? Midnight snacks is a podcast about TV movie horror hosts. It's just me, so I usually pick a particular um, horror host or horror host show and um, discuss the history of that horror host and the actor um, and what the show is all about, give you a description of the show. I usually play a lot of clips since it is just me and I don't want people to be bored, so I usually try to find a lot of clips from from these shows and play them. Um, just a big horror movie host fan, and I have never been able to find a podcast dedicated to TV movie horror hosts. I just thought I'd start my own, so that's what Midnight Snacks is. And uh, what was your? I know you put one out, like I said, September twenty twenty. Which one was that? Oh man, I yeah. put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the Jeepers Creepers uh, uh, episode, um, which had in its duration three different um, hosts. Uh, one called the uh, one called the Jeep, one called Jeepers, one called Creepers, and then oh, what was the oh, I, I Peepers, forget. something like that. I don't know. There I just made that up. Two male hosts and a female host in the short, like I think, three years that that show was on. Um, and it was a show from I think the fifties, I believe. Um, seemed like a really cool show. And one of the things, uh, when doing research about all of these horror hosts is all of them seem to uh it's just it's a it's it's always been a really fascinating topic for me because the height of the TV movie horror host um you know it's all from like local channels that you know they get these packages of movies and they try to figure out how to display these movies on their on their channel so they come up with a TV horror host and and it, you know, it's it's always just a local thing, a local a local channel doing these shows. You know, no budgets, whatever. Uh, usually, right there at the station. And just how, you know, market to market, people weren't really sharing ideas or anything, but just how centric everything was. 
And one of the things that I found that fascinates me is how most of them attempt a attempt a music career. They <laughs> every single horror host that I've done a show on so far has recorded songs for their either for their show or for like a um like a promo item on a 45 or something like that. Um uh, all the way back to the first episode of Zachary who had put out actually two or three albums and had a a um Billboard uh hit uh with his song Dinner for Drac. So, well, I mean, yeah, up to his uh, death, he was, I mean, he was on a song with like Rob Zombie. He did, he was on that, you yeah. know, Halloween Hootenanny album I love. Uh, he introed it and outroed it and was on a song with, I think, the Ghastly Ones or something. And mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird, you know, because uh, um, I did my, well, okay, well, spoilers. I, 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 the one I haven't put out yet, I shouldn't give anything away, but it's a, it's a personal one for me. Um, an Iowa local horror host. Uh, and even he put out a song on a 45. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's just weird how, like, all these all these people um, just kind of followed the same path as, as far as doing this horror host thing. Well, I mean, even this season, probably more so than the others, uh, Joe Bob, you know, he's not necessarily writing them. Um, but it's like John Brennan, I think, is the guy's yeah. name who's who's writing the stuff. But they did like the Spookies rap uh, last week. They had the Clint Howard, uh, yeah, the Clint Howard tribute. Song was awesome. Yeah, and and it had Joe Bob singing, and it's like, yeah, yeah like you said, that they do put those out still on vinyl. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find those on seven inch vinyls, and uh, and someone's gonna yell at me because I said vinyls. It's vinyl, sorry. But um, <laughs> I I also saw I think uh, Sven Gulli. Like I think today, maybe or yesterday, was posted about like 42nd anniversary, and Joe Bob, uh, you know, tweeted back like "Cheers to another 42 years." I, I love yeah. like the camaraderie that oh, yeah. most of them have with each other. You know, we we've heard some beefs between like Vampira and Elvira and and that kind of stuff. I think Joe Bob even did sort of a, a rant on that one of his episodes, but um, yeah, that was a that was a pretty famous rivalry there for a while but you know that was a unique situation in and of itself but uh uh yeah i even i have a sven Gulli 45 he always does song he does a song almost on every single one of his episodes so he usually does parodies that is usually in the theme of the movie that they're playing and it's cool like it's a bummer i i got rid of cable it really boiled down to the only reason why i had cable was to watch sven Gulli. and so i i was like meh I probably should just get rid of cable and not pay all that for just watching Sven Gulli. But it's cool that they're still on regular television. Well, I guess cable television, that there is still a TV horror host out there, at least one. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I still pay for cable like a schmuck and I barely watch it. I, I have DVR, you know, basically. I've never watched anything besides sports live, and that's only a few months out of the year when football is on. But, um, it's it's strange because Mediacom has been in this battle, and I'm calling you out, Mediacom. You've been in this battle with ABC for since like Thanksgiving or something. And every cup, like once a month, I turn on to see if it's over yet, and they still haven't. And that's the channel that airs Midnight Mausoleum, and that's like, you know, I'm oh. pa- I'm paying for this, and I don't even get to watch our local, uh, you know, horror host, uh, yeah. and. She's awesome. I remember I, I discovered her show organically. Just one night, I saw like a B movie listed on the guide, and I'm like, "Why is ABC playing this at 2 a.m.?" Flipped over, and there was a like a horror hostess. I'm like, 
holy shit, this is cool. Is she local? And then I, you know, of course this was before I even, uh, knew you guys. And, and yeah. I was like, Oh, you know, you guys have her at Halloween blues every year. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's just so cool that we have one like right in the area, you know, and she's, she's always yeah. been gracious with her time and, uh, oh, yeah, goes to local awesome. cons and signings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just, have you ever like, is that, has that ever been something that you would like, is that your dream? Like, would you love to be a horror host on TV? Oh, I would love to do it. And it's, I've actually, um, yeah, put some thought into it here lately, uh, what, what I would do in what capacity. Cause there's, there is still a lot of horror hosts out there, but a lot of them are on like streaming channels or they just have a dedicated website to their show. Uh, like Count Gore Duvall, um, is probably one of the still longest living horror hosts. And he was a pretty big deal. Uh, in his market uh, back in the day. Um, but then when that went away, he wouldn't give up doing court, Count Gordevall and does it on, has been doing it on the internet. He was doing it on the internet first. But I don't know if I want to do it in that capacity. I mean, for me, the thrill is, what's awesome about it is just watching it on television. You know, so I, that's what, that's how I would want to do it. Now it seems like that's a, a, a tough nut to crack anymore. It's awesome that uh, Ms., uh, Marlena Midnight can can still do it locally too. That's great. She was syndicated there for a while through a lot of public access channels, but I think she's just doing it through through the local anymore. Yeah, I know. Like, I think it was last year or something. They were trying new avenues as far as uh, putting her show on streaming, but. Um... You know, it all just like most of them, it depends on the film you're showing. She's, uh, you know, for most part, most of them do the public domain stuff because you don't have to worry about rights and and that. But um, there's only so many and people sort of get tired of seeing the same 12, you know, exactly public domain movies. So how do you how do you find the, the stuff that's deeper that people haven't seen, but also not go too deep or people don't care about it? Um, And how do you make it interesting? It's, exactly. It's a whole thing. And like you said, online, you just sort of get lost in a sea. Like mm-hmm. it's I mean, you guys had the uh, when you owned uh, Insane's em- Emporium in Otumwa, you guys had like a video series, not quite horror hosts, but you had your own yeah. like review series review that series, s- yeah. similar to that in a way. But, you know, like you said, it's online. It's just it's tough to find your spot. Like, you know, there's just you have to sort of have a following or, or have a a some kind of I don't even know what you'd say some kind of twist on it to get people in like a gimmick almost uh, that makes people want to tune in every week. Yeah, and I think the 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 thing about the public domain movies, I, I feel like that that is definitely one of the things that hurts a lot of these current horror hosts. Well, that and production value, and it's funny to say that um, considering. That's part of the charm of TV horror hosts is no production value, but there's a level. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. some there's some really bad stuff out. It has there. to be watchable at least. Yeah, well, you, well, there's like some stuff out there you can't even understand what they're saying because you're using an on-camera mic. You know, they just set up a camera in their living room. You know, that with maybe one cheesy painted backdrop or whatever, put on a little can- uh, uh, pancake makeup and and do a show. Uh, but anyway, but back to the, uh, the public domain thing, I feel like part of what I, I think a lot of current horror hosts are missing is that is the movie element. 
because all of these all of the great horror hosts started as a means to show the movies so the movies came first and i think that's important uh because i mean i find a i i find a lot of horror host stuff like through roku different roku channels or just online and when i see the movie it's like oh yeah great killer shrews again okay yeah thanks (laughs) Yeah, um, we we've been really spoiled with you know Joe Bob's return. Um, just it's putting it on yeah, Shutter. You know they're they're on a streaming service, but the way that they rolled it out was very smart. Where it's like it airs live on technically live on Friday nights at this certain yeah. time, so that because I, I think people people don't even realize it, but that's what keeps people going. If they just uh, did it like any other streamer and they just dropped it like. Uh, midnight on Wednesday nights like they do for, you know, Loki and all these other series on like Disney Plus, mm-hmm. you know, you'd miss the whole element of group watching. Like it's the yeah. it, it's the whole uh element of everybody watching together. It's this part piece of belonging, people um relating to each other and, and conversing on the internet and you know Yeah. It, it's yeah, like, well, it's like back when he did Monster Vision, you know, it was actually you had to be like watch TNT at that time when it was on and we didn't have DVR, we had VCRs. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, you had to physically put it on a tape and you know, that was a little bit more of a commitment, but, um, you know, I think it, it like the way they've done it, like I said, is, is so much smarter. And, and I also yeah. appreciate that shutter. A lot of people overlook is, um, you know, the, I see people complain and I don't mean to make it a rant, but I see people complain about some of the movies he shows. And I'm like, you guys have no idea how like, lucky you are because when he was on TNT, he had to show some real shit just because it was TNT, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't even, he could show the, he could show whatever. I don't care really. Joe Bob yeah, in that here. sense is mostly, I just want to learn. Like if he, if he's showing a movie I've seen a million times, I almost just uh, zone out while the movie's on and then, you know, tune in when he's talking. And that says a lot about his, uh, appeal, you know, um, but it's like when he hosts something like Sledgehammer or things <laughs> as a double feature and people just are, are going crazy. It's like, well, it's not about the movie and, and it's about yeah. learning why he would show this and his, his yeah. knowledge on it. And, and he explains why he shows it. It's, it's like, man, you guys have no appreciation how we can see it unedited. You know, I remember watching yep. monster vision, everything was cut to shit. Oh, and yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's like, be I hate to be the old guy who's like we had to walk uphill and watch all the commercials and everything was edited, but it's true, man. Like, stop yeah. complaining. Just be happy that this exists because it's not going to last forever. You know. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of because of Joe Bob. We haven't seen more of a resurgence in this, uh, in this medium because I, I feel like what killed it was technology. But I think we're at a point now with technology technology of using it in a way to enhance it even more because one of the appeals as a kid watching your local tv movie horror host is it felt like that was something special to you that they were talking to you like most of your local tv horror hosts would read fan letters on the air Mm -hmm. which made it even more of like a community but nowadays like with joe bob and what you what you usually do when joe bob is on um you know just uh, all the the community is is still there in a bigger and broader capacity where you can like literally be talking to other people from around the world as you watch it with all the the twitters that you do uh during the show and i'm surprised more people haven't 
jumped at that kind of uh, done trying to do more of Joe Bob. I'm I'm like. I'm shocked that Elvira has not tried to come back yet again. That's exactly um, what I was going to say is like, like, especially with right now, the nostalgia thing, like every show from the eighties and nineties is being rebooted as a new show yeah. or they're bringing back stuff. I mean, like saved by the bell, uh, Murphy yeah. Brown, uh, mad about you, like all these shows, Frasier, everything's coming back for a limited series. And it's like, you know, in, in the popularity of Joe Bob, he literally crashed Shutter the first marathon he did, mm-hmm. and, and that yeah. was supposed to be a one-time thing, and it was so popular. They've brought him back for countless specials, and now we're in the third season of a regular show. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's crazy, like how I saw like like Darcy did the the Iron Man challenge for people who could sit all the way through Sledgehammer and things got a certificate, and she <laughs> said like like I think it was like fifteen hundred people completed it like that's people who wrote she had had to you had to email her like a scene by scene breakdown for both movies that's how many people actually watched all the way through and and took the time and effort to write that and she's going to be sending out certificates for each one of them it's like if that many people are are going to that much effort i i wish i could see how many people are actually tuning in you know shutter has those numbers obviously there's no reason for them to release them but it's it's just my mind still can't compute. Like I'm thinking it's like, Oh, there's these 500 people on Twitter that I'm, I'm talking to, you know, uh, that are tweeting back and forth that are watching this at most. And then you find out over, you know, 1500 people completed that alone. It's like, well, there's, there's gotta be, you know, I don't even know where yeah. to start, but it's like, it's amazing numbers. Like what's, you know, why wouldn't they bring back something like Elvira have, you know, we, we even had a new Wee movie on Netflix. Like it's, it's cheap to produce, uh, you know, she's still very popular yeah. in pop culture. She still looks great. Mm-hmm. Cassandra, you know, pulls oh, off yeah. the look and, and does the, the conventions and costumes. She's still awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. People love that. You know, you still see an Elvira out on every Halloween. It's She's just yeah. as relevant now. And people recognize her. Even even if people never seen the movies, she's part of our pop culture and, and one of the most recognizable horror hosts. So I know that she tried to do one of um, several years back on, on TV again that that. I think it was on Saturday nights. Um, it was movie. It was bringing back movie macabre, and it it kind of failed. So I don't know if there's hesitation to do it again. But again, if they follow the current Joe Bob formula, I, you know, I think it would be. I think it would also be a hit. I'm just really surprised. I mean, even an extension of the horror host. Look at Mystery Science Theater. Right. That keeps that keeps coming back. You know, they did the two seasons on Netflix, and and they're you know working on you know taking it somewhere else at this point because netflix are jerks but that's another story yeah i was gonna say they just sort of they they like don't commit to anything like everything's one and done there and uh that's like that's like one of the downsides of some of the streaming places but you think like even shutter would just offer like let's do one elvira special see what the response is like they did with joe bob and Mm -hmm. you know if, if it gets in those numbers that look good okay let's keep doing them uh, you know, similar thing. We're airing it on uh, the off season of Joe Bob, you know, a Friday night at the same time. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And, and, you know, just do like like he did a one night special uh, around Halloween just to get people see test test the water, see if it's, uh, you know, something that people would be into. You know, that crowd would be all over it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. her, her lines are always long at conventions. And I just yeah, yeah it just seems like and of course maybe shutters like we just don't want to be pigeonholes of people who go back and find you know old horror hosts or something but uh you know yeah, i think maybe. i think 
Joe Bob shows almost like, you know, I hear so many people are like, I watch it. I, I subscribe to shutter until Joe Bob ends a season. Then I canceled. I re up when, you know, he's back and I, I love, I mean, obviously we love shutter, uh, sponsor oh, of yeah. attack the killer podcast, but, uh, yeah. you watch it all the time. But yeah, that's, that's one of the big things on there. One of the, the biggest properties they have is bringing back Joe Bob. So, mm-hmm. and speaking of, sort of a, a transition, you know, public domains, like something that a movie that all horror hosts sort of have shown, I, I guarantee almost every one of them has shown night of living dead. One of the, yeah. probably the biggest public domain horror movie of all time directed by George A. Romero, who was, we're going to be talking about tonight because uh, hey. our topic tonight is George A. Romero's the amusement park. Young lovers, you want your fortune told. We want to see what our life is going to be like. What part of life? When we get old. Are you sure? Yeah. You must see it all to the end. There's nothing outside. I'm going outside anyway. There's nothing outside. Nothing. One of these times, the door will open in your life. And you will step into the amusement park. Oh, no, it's fun. Mind. You'll like it. You'll really like it. Full of hope, anticipation for the future, and curiosity for what you will find there. The man in the amusement park is a mirror image of yourself. Separated only by the passage of time. Nothing, nothing out, out there. I'll see for myself. Bye. I'll see you in the park someday. Okay, The Amusement Park. Written by Wally Cook, directed by George A. Romero, starring Lincoln Mazel as the old man and a bunch of volunteer actors. Now, uh, if you're listening to this and you're wondering why I had Mike on for this one... Um, it's because he's like the biggest George A. Romero fan I know. Uh, someone who's uh, extensively followed his career. You're like the biggest fanboy I know. So I was very curious to see what you thought of this one. Yes, I am a huge George Romero fan. As a, as a matter of fact, when I went, uh, when I graduated from high school, I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. Why? Because George Romero's movies were made in Pittsburgh. So that's, <laughs> that's sad. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, there's I have mixed feelings on this one. Um, uh, there's a lot I really, really like about it, and 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 I, but I also recognize there's a lot of problems with it as well. Um, man, I, don't, I guess I don't know where to start. Well, uh, the, the the basic premise of the this movie, I guess you could call it, it, it's stars an elderly gentleman. He goes for what he assumes will be an ordinary day at the amusement park, only to find himself in the middle of a hellish nightmare. Um, it was a job that was given to, it was a job for hire. It was not ever something George ever considered one of his films. It was considered a job to him. Um, 
it was I'll explain some of the backstory here. It, it will already sort of go into some of the trivia, but um, originally produced in 73, 1973 between uh, season of the witch and the crazies. Um, it's his only film he's ever done as a work for hire um, shot over the course of three days at the now defunct Westview park in Westview, Pennsylvania on a budget of 37,000 with primarily volunteer actors. Um, it was something that was commissioned by the Lutheran Service Society of Western Pennsylvania um, as an educational film about elder abuse and ageism. Um, he basically filmed this thing. They did, I guess his wife said that they did use it initially, but they thought it was a little too weird for their message, rightfully mm-hmm. so. Um, but you hired the guy who did uh, Night of the Living Dead to make a PSA. Um, And so they shelved it and George never, he got paid. It was never intended for as a piece of art from him. Um, And, and he's sort of always been humble like that. Like he's always sort of been like, well, you know, this was not a political uh, vehicle. This was never something, you know, pushing anything, but I've always sort of been like, is he being serious or he's just being coy about it? I don't know. You're you're the guy who probably knows more than I do, but this this movie to me was like and probably something that's been used in like every uh review of this movie is just sort of like a fever dream where uh it reminded me of like and, and this is a bad comparison probably, but like Mother, the movie Mother where like bad things just keep happening and your anxiety builds and it's like uh, it's, it's really weird, but this is what do you like how do you feel about this viewing this as a movie because it never was intended that way and now you know like i said made in 73 discovered i think in 2017 um and that's when they were doing a retrospective on uh, romero at the torino film festival they discovered this thing they actually sent a copy to uh george and his wife and she was like, well, what did they watch? And she's like, what the hell is this? Like, you've never told me about it. And George is just being coy. And he's like, oh, I, it was just a job that I got hired for. I, you know, I never considered it art or anything. It was just something I got. And she's like, but this is this has your name all over it, literally and figuratively. Like, yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely a Romero style film. And, you know, it, it's such a strange thing. But how do you feel like consuming it as the, the like Shudder picks it up? They put it out as an actual movie and, and billing it as Romero's last film. But if he was yeah. still alive, you know, he'd probably be like, well, don't view it as that. I think some critics are being too harsh on it and some are maybe being a little too, uh, I don't know, I guess not too friendly about it because it was never meant to be viewed like we are now anyways. But how do you feel about that? I feel like, uh, I mean, that's exactly it. If you're going into this to see a George Romero movie, you're probably going to be disappointed. If you're going in um, at looking at an hour long um like a PSA movie uh, then you're probably going to love it i mean it, it, it well one it's only an hour so it's it's a stretch to call it a, a feature film right mm-hmm. um but uh it definitely it definitely lacks a lot it, it's 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 more in the message and in the meaning than the than the visuals that you would expect from george uh the my my biggest my biggest complaint of the whole thing is like cuz i totally see what he's doing through this whole thing and it's a sensitive subject to me um elderly abuse and uh you know just um how how the elderly are treated and perceived and and i think this i think this i personally feel like this came out at a good time too because the number of people 
I don't want to, I don't want to get on a political soapbox or anything, <laughs> but the number of people that I have had say to my face over the past year of what we've dealt with, it's like who like would refuse to wear masks yep. and stuff like that. Yep. They were like, going to oh, die it's anyways. Affect, it's only affecting the elderly. What do you mean? It's only affecting the elderly. You mean it's affecting human beings yep. who deserve to live just as much as you do, even though they may have lived longer than you. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Sorry, can we cuss on your show? Absolutely. No, I, I completely know what you're saying because um, I won't mention names, but s- someone that uh, I see regularly, I'm trying to bounce around saying <laughs> who this person is, but um, I had an argument with the same thing where this person was saying, well, the, the numbers from this, uh, from COVID are exaggerated because these older people are getting it and they were going to die anyways, but now it's on their, on their death certificate that it was COVID related. And I said, you know, what, how would you feel if your mom caught it and passed away? Wouldn't you do just about anything to get an extra day with your mother? And he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, so you're, but think of it from someone else's perspective, you know, that whole idea of they were going to die anyways, is just horrible. Like we're just ready to throw them away. Like, well, they're, they lived long enough, I guess, toss them away. Like, like they're just trash. And, and that's like you said, it's more relevant or maybe just, just as relevant, but very relevant today. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so I, I get what the I get what he the message he was trying to say with this movie and it does it it did affect me because again it's a topic I'm sensitive to, um yeah one because of those experiences over the past year, two I f- I feel like I'm creeping up on the age myself where I'm I'm looking at those years closer than I ever have before, um and and just the fact that I grew up with po- parents that were older than than I was, you know, generationally older. Right. Than, I mean, my parents were both 40 when I was born. So, I grew up with sisters that could have been my parents. Um and and losing both of my parents at an early age and losing my mom first and with um with, and seeing my dad alone in the last few years of his life. You know, so I that so those things really affect me from all different angles, and and I and I feel like it did affect me, and I get the message really well, but I think it could have been done a lot more, a um, uh, lot better. That George could have done a lot better, and it'd have been even more effective. But that's that's hindsight, right? Because you know he had, you, you know, they didn't give him hardly any money to shoot this thing. And you know it's shot on the fly because there's only one real actor in it. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is like volunteers and friends and whatnot. Um, but it's just it just lacks atmosphere because it's all shot in this amusement park in broad daylight. Right, natural lighting, yeah, yeah, all natural lighting. So, so some of those messages even come off maybe a little bit silly, like with. Uh, uh, the big rubber stamp, you know, the guy with the big rubber stamp hitting rejected on on forums. I mean, that's kind of cartoonish. Um, you know, if 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 there was just a bit more mood, and he tried to do the best that he could. And and one of the things I do love about this is this comes from the era of Romero that I love the most. Uh, his stuff in the seventies, the um, because of not just his directing style but his editing style. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about Romero is his editing from from those early days and uh, how he can tell a story, like he can do a scene and tell 
everything you need to know about that scene without any dialogue. It's all just within the camera shots and angles. And always working on low budgets, he had to set up shots instead of just relying on like a big crane shot or a dolly shot or whatever. He had to, you know, splice all these shots together. I mean, th this guy got his start in, you know, commercial, uh, commercial advertising, doing um, commercials. And so he had to learn how to tell stories quickly, you know, with, through, through the editing. And this movie is very little dialogue, if, if any. And when there is, you can't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like he does, a gr he does a great job with his shots and his editing to convey what he's trying to convey. And two of my favorite scenes in this movie are those moments that felt like it was a little bit more controlled as far as dealing, not dealing with natural elements of light and whatnot. Um, and that's the, the, the fortune teller scene mm -hmm. and the beginning and end. Right. The wraparounds. Yeah. Yeah. Where he can really control things. And that's where I feel like you really could see the potential of what this whole piece could have been um, based on the fact that he had more control in those elements as opposed to just out in the open with a bunch of ex with a bunch of non extras. I remember when news sort of broke like a few years ago, maybe when it was in 2017 when they discovered it, it was like, you know, long lost Romero film discovered and most of the articles were sort of like sort of trying to calm everybody's excitement like look, like this is not an actual film film. It's not a narrative. Um it's it was a, yeah. basically a PSA, don't get excited and then you know of course they have to sell it, but it's like when Shutter picks up the rights, we just listen to that trailer and they edit that trailer to make it seem like this is going to be a, a horror movie, another George A. Romero, you know, classic. Um, and I know he is always pigeonholed as the zombie guy because, you know, he was basically mm -hmm. created the modern zombie film. Um, and of course he used, but he always uses zombies as a way to get his message across. Um, and, and some films are, more subtle than others. This one, um, I've seen people say it's a little too on the nose and it's like, well, he was literally hired to put it on the nose. Um, yes, it, exactly. and, and it's so strange to me. Like the, this group hired this horror film director and I yeah. just, I, I just wish I knew and maybe we'll find out some more down the road, but it's like, I wish I could be a fly on the wall when that conversation happened. Like, so, you know, how much influence did this group have to be like, you know, because you think about PSAs, especially in that time, you think of like after school specials where it's really stupid mm -hmm. reenactments of yeah. kids smoking cigarettes behind a school and learning a lesson about why drugs are bad. And this one is, I mean, I can imagine the, this um, Lutheran society service society of Western Pennsylvania gets this educational film back and they watch the reels and they're like, Oh, what did we pay for? Like, <laughs> but it's somewhere in the middle there because if you're if you're consuming this on Shutter and you're not familiar with, if you don't have you know if you're going in blind and you're just like oh a new Romero film the way they they designed this new poster with the the guys the the main old guy's head split open with a carousel in it um it looks like a really cool spooky movie and it is scary in a way it, the way his atmosphere he does have a little bit of atmosphere but it's hard to he wasn't going for that. You know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It, it's really interesting experiment just the way we consume this because mm -hmm. it's, it's not, it was never meant to be consumed the way we're doing it. And so it's hard for me to be like, 
well, it's not really scary and what wasn't supposed to, but also on the other end, he probably didn't really do a good job of what they hired him to do. Um, I mean, what, who, who would this be shown to a group of young kids? And they're like the, the message go right over their head. You know, who, who would they even, where would they be showing this at, yeah. at events? Like what, what tool was this used for? I mean, who's watching this and going, well, I guess I should stop being mean to grandpa or something, you know? Um, but it's, it's interesting using the, euthanism of a theme park where it's supposed to be like the happiest place on earth and mm-hmm. um you know they they are on the bumper cars and get in an accident and, and the police show up and they blame them because <laughs> they're old um yeah and and romero himself plays a driver in that scene um mm-hmm. uh, mazel tries to get the, the old guy tries to get a serve get service at a snack bar and is ignored um like a, a younger guy sits down at a table and he he doesn't want to even see an old person so he asks for his table to be turned um he sits on a bench and speaks to some kids and is immediately accused of being like a, a creep a pedophile yeah. uh mm-hmm. just little things like that all the time like you said the rubber stamp thing um they take advantage of them by you know they bring this guy brings up like a pocket watch and it actually that sort of made me think of like uh pawn stars where it's like you know there's ripping off people but um you know the opening scene like you said uh was like the most filmatic that opening and ending scene which are the same um where the old man is talking to himself he's bandaged and bloody and you know it's it's we're going into this knowing ahead of time this is a george a romero something that he directed I, i'm just mm-hmm. trying to think of it from the perspective of someone watching this in the 70s who doesn't know or care who george romero is what they were going to or supposed to get out of it uh yeah that's a good point because i guarantee nobody did know who george romero was i mean he made nine living dead in 68 which was a hit it was a drive-in a drive-in hit a, a midnight movie for years but his next three projects were complete and utter flops. And, and I wonder too, if is cause just by, uh, just by looking at his, um, IMDB, it looks like this time period was the time period of like, well, I'm going to have to go back and, and do some work for hire projects. Cause he did, he did a documentary on OJ Simpson. He did, um, uh, eight episodes of something called the winners. Uh, and so between, between 73 and 79 or 77, I mean, when he made Martin, it was all like this, what looks like just work for hire stuff, including, including this piece. Yeah. He did, um, a few segments of Mr. Rogers neighborhood, the one where he got his like tonsils removed and one where they were making something. I forget what. Oh, it's funny. I should have, oh, I should have wrote this down because I can't remember the character. Um, we're watching, Brandy and I are watching this and she has this amazing ability to spot people, to spot people and know (laughs) what they're from. She spotted somebody in this that she recognized. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) Other than like the close circle of George Romero people. I don't, you know, all of these are just randos that just happened to show up that day. Um, but apparently, and I forget the, I forget the guy's name now, but apparently somebody from Mr. Rogers neighborhood, the show is in this movie leave it to her to spot that person and recognize it exactly but yeah it's i mean i remember i think i even sent it in like our group chat a few months back because people had tracked down those segments that he directed for mr rogers neighborhood Mm -hmm. and it's like 
you know, oh, this people were sort of laughing, like, oh, you know, look what he did. And it's like, dude, like almost every director has something like whether it was a student film or, you know, something that they they did as a fun indie project before they made big. Like if we go back into every filmmaker's history, we're going to find strange things or things they did for money, because especially in this era, I mean, like I said, this this interestingly came out between uh season of the witch and the crazies which i i think were both in 73 like uh you know this this came right between the two i'm not as familiar with his uh filmography i don't think i've ever seen season of the witch obviously seen the crazies um but yeah you know like i said he's he sort of got pigeonholed as the the zombie guy and those were his biggest uh films over time but he tried and he, he was always very smart guy like um mm-hmm. you know i i feel like he was underappreciated because the zombies always sort of became the thing and and you know good for him because he made a career out of it and he figured out a way to take something as a a, a zombie and make it you know upset put a message to it but yeah you know it's i, I just always sort of felt like the poor guy, anytime he tried to do something different, I mean, the crazies became a thing and, and it was a cult film and then got remade. But, um, you know, it was always like, well, wh- when's your next zombie movie? It's like, well, I got this other cool thing I'm doing. Who cares? When's the next zombie movie? What What would yeah. you say like his biggest non zombie film is? Would it be the crazies? Uh, creep show. Oh yeah. Duh. I didn't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, Definitely creep show, but then you can also argue argue was like, well, there's zombies in that, so I don't know. Yeah, that I wouldn't <laughs> consider that the same though. I mean, you know, yeah, there's zombies yeah. in it, but it's it wasn't a zombie movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, that shows like it's weird because his non-zombie stuff is all over the place. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. what was it, Night Riders that we watched for the podcast? Uh, yeah, was not my thing, but it's like, man, this guy can do a little bit of everything. You know, it's. And, and and he really wanted to. I mean, take survive, um, yeah, survival of the dead, and it's it's so it's such a shame that I I just feel like he just got beat down to the point of just like, all right, well, they're not gonna let me make anything besides besides zombie movies, which I call BS. I I feel like I feel like if he just toughed it out just a little bit longer, he somebody would have let him make something besides zombie movies. I think he just kind of caved. I think he just um, um, submitted to that, you know, too too easily. I, I don't want to say too easily because it was like you know decades of of failures of trying to do do other stuff. But uh, um, he went but back to the well. The, yeah, yeah. He, you know, just every interview I've ever heard him talking about not wanting to be pigeonholed as as a horror guy. He always brought up westerns. He always talked about how he wanted to do a western. Well. He just he just came up with the idea with the latter half of his career. It's like, well, if they're gonna make me only do zombie movies, I'm still gonna make the movies I want. I'm just gonna disguise them as zombie movies, and that's what survival is. Survival was his attempt to do a cowboy, to do a western. I know, like Carpenter was always in the same boat, but he's just sort of was. He's always been very uh, straightforward and humble too, where he was like. You know, he always wanted to make Westerns, but by the time he's like, you know, I went to school to make Westerns. And by the time I finished school, Westerns were dead. Like no one cared. No, no one was making them anymore. So he made what is his version. The closest thing I I would say besides maybe vampires is is sort of a Western. But um, oh, yeah, definitely. uh, Assault on Precinct 13 is a Western, a modern Western almost, you know, set in a prison rather than the West. But uh, same premises and, you know, the jailers Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But. I always sort of wished like 
he would have gotten in his prime. Like I wish the thing would have succeeded and that he would have gotten like his one like movie he really wanted to do or that, you know, in his prime, if he would have been able to do something like the dark tower would have been really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. Just, I just, at this point, you know um, I'm sure, you know, he could get hired to do stuff, but he's, he's very open about the fact that, you know, if they're going to hire him, he's just going to do what he wants and he's going to be pretty lazy about it. So uh, he would rather just play video games and make music, which is cool. You know, for a guy his age, like he deserved to sit on the couch and, and collect money for all the yeah. remakes they're making. But um, we tragically lost Romero in what was it? 2017. He was... I think it was 2017 because they discovered this, uh, like the 16 millimeter print of this movie. And they sent it to him maybe a few months before uh, they sent him the, the 16 millimeter print and a DVD copy uh, to him and his wife, and he got to watch it with her, like, maybe, like, they said, like, three or four weeks before he passed. Um, yeah. And she was, yeah. like, almost mad at him. Like, how could you never have mentioned this? And he was, he, you know, he's, George has always been very quiet, sort of laid-back guy, and he's like, you know, oh, it's just just a job. You know, I don't know why I would mention it. You know, you, you don't tell yeah. me about everything, every job you ever had, you know, and he never, I wonder if he even really, like, thought about it being out there or if it's just like, you know, they yeah, didn't use not. it. So, um, whatever, like I, it was never something he was passionate about. Um, I, I don't know anything about this, uh, Wally cook that wrote it. D- do you know anything about him? No, nothing. Yeah. I didn't I... know if he was like someone who had been uh, like collaborator with him. And because I know the, the guy that plays the old man, uh, Lincoln he's Mazel. Yeah. He's, he's a, a Martin, Martin. right? Yeah, he's grandpa. He's the grandfather in Martin, and he's sort of notorious. Uh, Romero is for like finding his actors and and reusing them in projects mm-hmm. and and involving locals. And you know, you watched like the the Dawn of the Dead special features and how many locals from Pittsburgh came out because they all wanted to be zombies. And uh... oh, that's why I love that whole scene because it always started with George. I mean, any any movie, especially from that era of the seventies and eighties. Uh, that came out of Pittsburgh, um, I just latch onto it because I I can always find somebody to connect back to George Romero easily. Um, And, you know, you got people from Tom Savini. um, And I I was going to bring this up at some point, too. I might as well do it now. Uh, This this was shot by uh, his cinematographer was Bill Heinzman, who was the cemetery zombie in the original Night of the Living Dead. Oh. And Bill Heinzman... um, uh, worked at Leighton Image, their production company that did all the commercials and stuff, and and he was he was the camera guy. So uh, he, I, I can't remember if he shot. There's always Vanilla and Season of the Witch, but I knew I know he shot Crazies for Romero, and then he shot Amusement Park. And what's interesting too is that one of the people in the amusement park is Michael Gornick, and I'm not I can't remember where Michael Gornick came into the George Romero world. But after Amusement Park, when George started finally getting features going again, Michael Gornick became his cinematographer. And then Michael Gornick went on to, you know, um, do other things as well. Uh, he, was the one, he was the one who directed um, Creepshow 2. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's cool not only seeing these, like, these people, people grow in the industry, but uh, the fact that George brought him along and would always use them. I mean, that's why I love Knight Riders. Knight Riders is literally who's who of, of George Romero films. You know, past, present, and future. Um, like, everybody's in that, from Ken Foray to Tom Savini. 
um, to John Amplis, who plays Martin. Uh, yeah, you name it. I've never seen Martin, but I, I maybe you'll have to uh, figure out a way to get it on an episode of AOTKP to make me watch it or yeah, ha- sure. have you back to watch it because I'm, you know, we never can uh, talk too much about Romero. But uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from the Prescribed Films Podcast Network and we'll be right back. <laughs> You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So I was going to ask you, what is it about George A. Romero that appeals to you? Like, why do you love him so much as a filmmaker? Well, it started with, he was the guy, his movies were the movies that made me a horror movie fan. Um, As a small child, if a commercial for a horror movie came on TV, I had to leave the room. I was just like terrified of everything. Um, Yet I still always had a weird fascination for monsters and stuff but to me that you know the cool monsters were like godzilla and whatnot you know not the non-threatening stuff um and it was it was like my ninth grade year when i started discovering uh the zombie movies and it started it started with night living dead which was such a gut punch um because at that that point when i was starting to fall in love with horror movies i started with universal monster movies so here i'm seeing this black and white movie that um, in my mind, could compare to the Universal Monster movies, and then you get that ending. Oh yeah, and it's like whoa, what Wolfman and the Frankenstein monster? Um, uh, you know, always um get killed at the end, and and everything is good, and everybody's you know, safe, every- yeah, and everybody's safe, but not in this movie. No. So that affected me big time, and I, I always, I still think the movie's really creepy. Oh yeah, um, definitely. So. So that was the first, and then I think uh, Day of the Dead was next, and Day of the Dead was the movie that was like, holy crap, special effects is more than just, you know, putting spaghetti in a fake, in a thing of fake blood and throwing it against the wall. You know, there's real craftsmanship here, and that's when I fell in love with, um, like, the art of special makeup effects. And then, and then this is all, again, like, I think in the same summer. And then came along Dawn of the Dead, and... And then I realized, oh, you can do more with horror movies than just jumping out from behind, from behind a door and scaring people. You know, there's there's a real art and story to it. And and it was Dawn of the Dead that I really started to see his craftsmanship again through his his um, editing and the way he tells his stories through his camera work. Uh, you know, um, you know, at that age, the social commentary was over my head. I didn't. Mm-hmm. But I, I do, I, I still enjoyed like how dark that movie could get, but then still have some levity. I mean, you oh got, yeah, it definitely has some. You humor got a pie to fight it. scene. Yeah, you got a full on zombie invasion in the mall, <laughs> and it turns into a pie fight. You know, so, um, so and that's so and that's when I realized, okay, this is George Romero, and then I had to see, and then I had to see everything, and everything just really clicked with me. It's the 
it's the way um i want to tell stories uh you know i mean the first lesson i ever really learned of being a filmmaker is you know show don't tell and he's a great example of that you don't get you don't get very much exposition dialogue exposition on anything in a George Romero movie it's either told it, it's either told through visuals or you ju- it's just left ambiguous so he's always sort of talked about the ending of Night of Living Dead and he was like I didn't mean anything political by having like the the survivor being the black guy the lead being you know that was a huge thing at the time it still is talked about how progressive that was at the time and he always said well i just chose the best actor of the group to be the lead and he happened to be black um you know and he's like there was no implications at the end but do you believe him or was he just sort of always been like shy or or sort of dodging the it's sort of like i don't even know how to explain it like it seems like he's always a lot like uh carpenter where he's like you know, oh, Halloween was 100% a happy accident. It was, you know, a piece of crap me and my friends made, and, and you know, people over-exaggerate it, very humble in that. Uh, do you think, you know, it was actually something that he meant to send a message through? Because obviously later in his career, it there is no denying Dawn of the Dead is a, you know, political oh, yeah. statement that, you know, the idea that, that not only the survivors but the dead would go back to a shopping mall. That would be the first instinct of the dead to go to shopping mall. And, you know, he's a lot of the survival of the dead uh, land of the dead. All those have been very political, but do you think it was like, okay, the ending of this movie, people talked about it forever because of this. So now I have this vehicle or was it like he truly did not intend for that to happen. And then he's like, Oh, now I can manipulate the audience and, and, and do this. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I truly think, cause I remember you know, when I was younger and I first discovered, night living dead i mean this was still it still would have been it would have it still would have been the 80s um and not like the the 70s but when i discovered night living dead and i would hear people talk about it no one ever talked about the political the political angle on it so anytime um i'd hear about the movie it would always just be talking about like you know Oh, zombies and blah, 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 and whatnot. Um, but I don't ever remember hearing anything about any social commentary going on. I think, and just from listening to George talk um, over the years and, 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 and reading, his, his, uh, reading books about him and whatnot, that uh, <clears throat> I just really think it boiled down to, this is a guy who wanted to make movies um, more than anything else in the world. He and he was always happy behind the camera, and that's where I think like what's what's great about. I mean, even this this film, Amusement Park, I can still feel like George is having a blast because he's behind the camera. Is it something he's completely passionate about compared to say something like Martin or whatever? Probably not, because you know it is a work for hire thing. But I still feel like he you know is giving it his all because he's just happy to be there, happy to have that opportunity. Um, so when you know, and I've heard the story told by everybody involved, and I've heard the story told a million times on how at Late Image. You know, they were just all sitting around at a diner talking. It's like, um, you know, if if we all pulled together and each donated like $500, we can probably shoot something. And George Romero just instantly, you know, slammed his hand on the table and was like, we're going to make a movie and just was excited at the thought, the prospect. So they were obviously going for something commercial when they made Night of the Living Dead. 
and um and it was it was written by Romero and Russo and I feel like maybe more Russo than Romero I feel like maybe more of Romero's writing credits came on the day of shooting mm-hmm. it's like you know this would work better if we did this and then now he's got a writing credit um so it just really feel like those guys were just really trying to to get their foot in the door by me and and, and it happens with a, with most of these guys right like sam raimi evil dead you know that was his attempt to get his foot in the door you know um you know you name it but uh uh so I don't really feel like there is. I, I feel like he's honest when he says when he has said that uh, just Dwayne Jones just happened to be the best actor. But man, at the same time, it's like man, they took some freaking risks. Oh yeah, by putting him in that lead. You know, rewatching it again not too long ago, Brandy and I were watching it, and and I've seen it a million times, but just at this at this moment at this particular time for some reason my jaw hit the floor and brandy's did too when he punches barbara in the face <laughs> yep yep here we have a movie in 1968 where a black man strikes a white woman like holy cow that you know if 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 anything is a statement in that movie it's got to be that moment um and so it's just the the just the the guts to do that and where i think like you know what is great about George and probably what uh, maybe would also was his downfall is just this, like he didn't care about any of that stuff. It was all just about, you know, making his vision. Um, you know, it's like, you know, black, white, it doesn't matter. And Dwayne Jones is just the best actor. So, yeah, I don't really feel like I think like um, maybe in the latter part of his career, maybe it, it hurt him a little bit to be known as the guy who makes zombie movies with social commentary. Right. I feel like in some of the later films, it's pretty forced. Oh yeah. It's you yeah. Know? Like you, you sort of mentioned it earlier is that, you know, he's, he's like basically making political movies that happen to have zombies in them. Yeah. And, and sometimes at the detriment of the, the quality of the movie. But um, yeah, I mean, but, I, I think about like, you know, some of the, I always forget that he's, he did monkey shines yeah. Uh, you know, Bruiser, I actually have on DVD. It came with like in like a two pack yeah. with something else. I don't remember how I got it, but um and it, it sort of sucked because I remember he had his big comeback with Land of the Dead and people were excited, oh, he's yeah. doing another zombie movie. And uh it, that one pretty decent budget, um, pretty good still, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Diary and the Survival, they sort of went downhill. Um and but I it's like people my age or maybe a little bit younger, like that's they watch those and they're like, man, like who's this Romero guy? Everybody hypes up. It's like, you have to understand, like <laughs> look at his older stuff, man. Night of the living dead is the zombie movie. And Dawn of the dead is considered like the zombie movie, you know, the modern zombie movie. Um, I, I can remember like watch, you know, seeing it on television as a kid. And that music is, is super eerie. But um, I think one of my, one of my favorite times I've seen it was probably, um, one of the first, probably the first year I got asked to help program anything at the Capitol theater. And I was like, I, we got to play that. It's public domain. Um, you know, old classic theater right around Halloween. Let's do it. And, yeah. uh, we sat and like, and they were like, you know, let's do a midnight thing. And there was like such a small group of us there, but the air conditioning was on. It was October. It was, it was <laughs> freezing in there. And like, there's a guy in the back dressed as like a caveman and he's barely, you know, he's wearing like a loincloth and he's, he's passed out drunk. And, 
uh, you know, we're watching Pitch Black at midnight with a small group, and it was fucking creepy. But it was just, it's yeah. just like the like you could probably see the reflection of the screen on my face with a big stupid smile. Like this is <laughs> this is all I want in life. Like to sit in this theater in in this old theater and watch Night Living Dead on a big screen right around Oct- uh, Halloween. Step outside and there's leaves blowing, and you know it's a cold mm, night. And just yeah. that just like sums up everything. But then recently, um. I th- I don't think it was as channel six local uh, affiliate. I turned on TV and it said like one of the few times I checked cable and it said that like figure skating was on. I think it was left on from SNL the previous night. It was a Sunday morning, 11 a.m. They were playing Night Living Dead. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is on. And it's one of those things. If you see it on TV, you stop and watch it. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. And it was right at the scene where you see the naked like woman zombie. <laughs> oh, my. On TV. On TV. And I messaged her Facebook page. I don't want to be like ratting them out. But I'm like, hey, uh, whoever like decided, hey, this is public domain. Like, I- I'm sure it was filler. Like something happened with the figure skating yeah. got over early or some, you know, some programming issue where they had to fill a block. So they threw that on. I'm like. Whoever programmed that, just make sure they know that there's probably a TV version that they should have shown because I saw <laughs> full-on zombie nipples. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm not offended, but I imagine if someone sure. just got home from church with their kids and they turn on Channel 6 to watch figure skating, they don't want to see, you know, zombie butt and nipples. Um, yeah. But, you know, yeah. if that there's going to be some screwed-up kid with, like, a zombie fetish, you know, that, <laughs> that, that happened to tune in on Channel 6 yeah. in, in Burlington. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, that that movie, obviously, it's strange because you think about, like, Night and Dawn, two very, very, very different movies. The only real similarities besides the people that made them is the the zombie aspect, but the, I would say, the two biggest zombie films of all time, bar none, hands down, no question, uh, don't, don't at me, don't DM me, I don't give a shit, Romero created the two biggest zombie movies, you know, and, and one's a sequel to the other, which is just wild to think about. Yeah, and I don't... I don't care. No one can take it away from George that of all the greats that we, that we love and look up to the Wes Cravens, the John Carpenters, you could probably give this to John Carpenter a little bit too. Um, uh, Sam Raimi, you, you name them, Toby Hooper, George Romero is, was, was the only one out of all those guys probably didn't have as good a career as most of those other guys. But he's the only one that literally created, that invented a new horror horror monster. Oh yeah, yeah. Like before that, and, technically, like the, you think of White Zombie, but that's not the, at all like his zombies. They were not the cannibals. They were like a voodoo type thing before he came yeah. along. Yeah, and even if you had like undead creatures, they were ghouls that would just like choke you out, like Tor Johnson and Plan Nine from Outer Space or whatever. You know, the 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 concept of the flesh eating you know, flesh eating living dead, you know, that was George and no one can ever take that away from him. You know, if if you could say anything about his filmography, but he made a giant contribute to um the horror not just the horror genre, but cinema in general with that movie. So clear, clear up this conception that I've, you know, I've always heard different stories about whether it was forgetting the the register trademark on the title. Like what happened there where that, you know, he never saw a dime out of this. It's become uh, public domain. It, it's a super sad story, but um, you probably know the real story behind it. Um, my understanding is when they were shooting it, they were shooting it under a different title. And uh, I think it was like night of the 
oh i can't remember anyway um i think it went through a couple different titles but uh when they did the copyright agreement they copyrighted it under an older title mm -hmm. and so when it was titled night of living dead then the copyright didn't didn't apply to that movie and that's where yeah it all went to all went to crap so it's a bummer like i feel like it helped george in a way because that movie got out there everywhere because you know where it wouldn't it, have it probably, if it wasn't yeah. public domain yeah yeah it probably helped him career-wise but financially was devastating yeah not to see a dime from it yeah never really thought about i've always you know thought about well you know obviously it got his name out there and we hear it all the time where like, you know, people try to hire artists and they're like, you know, uh, if you design my logo, you'll get, you'll get credit, you know, and you'll get your name out there. Or if you direct this thing for me or help me do it. And it's like, you know, there's no, nobody taken more advantage of than, than filmmakers or artists all the time. Yeah. I, you know, as someone oh, who does graphic yeah. design, I get asked all the time to do free work for people for credit. Um, but I never really considered the aspect of, you know, if this was, if he had the, the copyright for it and that would have gone through like it should have um who knows you know this would not have been something they play from every horror host this is not something that would be played mm -hmm. at every theater yeah. every october it's not something that would be included in every goddamn mill creek 50 movie horror pack on the cover <laughs> uh in, yeah. in like the shittiest yeah. fucking transfer of all time um yeah. you know and and it's interesting because technically like you you yourself you could take a copy of night living dead and and go out and sell it and make money off of it and but yeah it's a double-edged sword and that's the thing everybody did i mean just i remember as a kid no matter what video store i went to there was always a copy of night living dead and it was never the same the, the same, same transfer same yeah, yeah. exactly yeah um, um you know criterion like they actually went through and and as far as I know, that has they have the best transfer oh, out there. Criterion is beautiful. I love that Criterion. It really is. And they sort of uh, this movie, uh, the amusement park. They, you know, they the sixteen millimeter print they found was just in awful condition. Um, they got when when they got this, uh, his wife was not sure. Suzanne uh, DeRocher Romero, she did not really know what to do with it. Like especially after George passed, she's like, you know, how do I? Um, preserve his legacy how do i continue to make sure that he is preserved in horror history which you know to be honest he always will be he'll always be oh, yeah. you know his films stand alone but she wanted to continue that legacy and when this came out she was like what can we do she created the george a romero foundation and then they their first project was to uh, get the New York-based film preservation organization, Indie Collect, to basically bring in these prints, um, clean them up, restore them as much as possible. Try to—I think they had like one print with audio somehow that they pulled from it. Not great, still not great quality, and even the video is not yeah. great quality. But all things considered, yeah. that it's been sitting on, literally sitting on a shelf since 1973, um, untouched until 2017. It's—it's uh, mm. it's amazing that you know it wasn't thrown away, like. He, I just always like, how did I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but it's like who, wh where, you know, did, did some, like someone get word that, Oh, Romero directed this. Was there, I mean, back in the day, like, did you even hear about this until 2017 or was there word about this existing that people were no. looking for it? Yeah. And I had no idea this ever existed. I mean, I, I remember back in the day when um, his second movie, there's always vanilla came out as, the, as 
the elements the only elements that they could they could find as a bonus feature on i think season of the witch disc by anchor bay and that being a huge deal and now you've got that movie all cleaned up and pristine on on blu-ray by uh um vinegar syndrome i think <laughs> so i i remember that you know there's always vanilla and getting to see that entirely for the first time and that always being considered the lost george romero film and now this is out of nowhere and so it's just like well what else is out there what right else exactly there? what i was gonna say is like <laughs> i wonder if there's anything else out there that we just don't know about you know uh and, and you know there couldn't have been that many prints i mean if it was made for the lutheran church and they like were kind of not happy with the end product there couldn't have been one that many prints, and then two, like you said, sitting on a shelf since 1973. I'm honestly, when I watched it, I was surprised it looked as good as it did, and I was expecting it to be. You know, there's a there's a few moments. I don't know if that was um, Romero's choice or like when there would be some like uh, fade out dissolves that did not feel like they yeah. were done in 1973. They felt a little more modern. Um, and some like weird jump cuts that felt like there was some elements missing. And so, uh, but I was still highly impressed with, with, uh, the transfer. I'm amazed that any of it survived. Yeah. I mean, the, the lore behind this one is what, you know, sells it, I think more so than the actual film itself. Um, which I, I think, you know, watching it, I've seen some reviews that are like, you know, it's his most terrorizing, most, you know, horrifying film, whatever. And, and it's, it's dark and there's no hope in it. And it's really sad, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily scary. Um, yeah. Again, I feel like the, the biggest downfall is that like, I, I and I've, when I put it on, on my letterbox, I went and read everybody's reviews and I was so excited to see all the positivity because I was waiting for it just to get trashed. There's so much positivity, and I've read read those, some of those same reviews that you said. Like it's the scariest thing he's ever done, and I'm like, well, that's a bit of a stretch. It could have been. It's like I'm glad um, you liked it. <laughs> yeah, it, it could have been scary. It could have been really scary. It just it lacked the atmosphere. It lacked a lot of the atmosphere. It was just it's too bright. Um, you know, some of it comes off rather amateurish, uh, which is I feel really harsh to say, and it hurts hurts my heart to say anything. That George ever done is amateurish, but but I I blame budgetary and time restraint really, and not working with uh, more professionals. Yeah, and I mean, again, I've said it a hundred times is like he was not directing a horror movie when he made this. Um, if anything, you know, the the group that hired him thought this was too horrifying. They saw it and they're like, oh shit! Like we we hired George Romero and he gave us a George Romero movie. Like uh, <laughs> I think it is when his wife said she saw it, she's just sort of like. Yeah, like he tried to play it off like it was just a job, but this is abs has you know his style all over it. Like if it didn't have his name in the credits, you would still know it's a Romero film somehow. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And you know that that says something about his style. You know whether you love it or hate it, which I I don't know anyone who hates George Romero, and if you do and you've made it you know an hour into this podcast, uh, <laughs> thanks I guess. But that's sort of weird. Um, so yeah, I mean we we've, we've sort of covered the entire movie, and I feel like if we we talk uh, George all night, we we we'd be here for several hours. But um, you know, do you have any final thoughts on this one, or or do you feel like you've you've uh, said all of your piece on it? Oh, I have a question for you, and then sure, hear my thoughts on this question. How do you feel about it being filmed at an amusement park? 
I don't know. Like, I think that it's the idea of, um, using that. I mean, it's, it's another one of those Romero things like the mall and Dawn of the dead, you know, the, the amusement park, like I said, is considered, you know, you think of, of Disney world, the happiest place on earth. They, take that innocence of this place and they throw this old guy in here and he's having the worst day ever. And you know, it's not like he's the lines are long or it's really hot or they're, you know, he drops his ice cream cone, um, just horrid things. He goes into the, the, uh, haunted house and it turns out to be like an overcrowded old people home, <laughs> like just yeah. scary yeah. things, you know, it's and sad things, uh, you know, and he gets pushed down and he gets hurt and he gets jumped by motorcyclists or bikers, uh, yeah, I, I, but I think that was what the, the idea is. What oh, is like baffling to me? Like, I just wish I and and hopefully there's going to be you know some more coverage on this. Or may, I'd love to watch a documentary on this. Like, oh, uh, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's weird because it's only an hour long and it's the last film. But I would love to know more about like. Hopefully, you know, we'd get a vet down the road, get like a physical release with maybe a little more info on it. Like, who thought oh. of the concept of? the whole amusement park uh and and shooting this old guy in here it was like was this the group's yeah. idea and and he ran with it or was did they just literally come to him with a blank slate and said you know we need a psa for how shitty old people are treated and he came up with this idea of let's turn the amusement park into a nightmare um but what do you, what do you think of it yeah well that i'm curious about that too cuz it feels like like i get the message in the the um the uh the metaphor of the amusement park, but at the same time, it also feels like, hey, you can shoot this in an amusement park. Okay, you know. Yeah, I mean? yeah, I have uh, it at my disposal, and so let's use it. Yeah. And but I'll say I love anything. I love any movie that has that amusement park background, that backdrop, especially from the from the seventies. I just fascinated by it. I don't know why, but amusement parks and carnivals. I love. I love. I love that in movies. Um, on the flip side of that, I feel like maybe it kind of hurts it because again, there's only so much that he can control in this environment. I, well, I mean, obviously, I guess that opening speech, the opening and ending speech that the guy gives in the movie does show that he was able to control the environment because it obviously is shut down when they shot those scenes. So. I don't know if it was active at the time when they were trying to shoot or what, but, uh, but yeah, but I think like, you know, with probably what he had for budget and time shooting in an amusement park and maybe hurt it a bit as much as I love the aesthetic and love seeing that stuff and, and, uh, getting that metaphor. Well, but. some of the stuff I, I wondered about, like, um, you know, the bumper cars that made sense to me. Those are at every amusement park and, you know, the idea of them crashing and them getting ticketed for it. Um, but like the guy where they're coming up and they're trading like these tickets for their possessions, like what was that? Yeah. What did that represent in life? Like, like them getting ripped off of things, you know, like some, <laughs> some of the healthcare stuff made sense to me. Cause you know, Medicare yeah. sucks and, you know, and once again, I'm going to get political and I don't give a shit if people, people know where I stand, but, um, you know, the idea that like, uh, eyeglasses and dental aren't considered, you know, healthcare. So it's still, we're in 2021, yeah. you know, this, this was made in 73 and we're still, still dealing with the same shit. Uh, you know, people don't want socialized medicine, but every, everybody in, in our government, you know, our, our taxes pay for theirs. Um, but we can't give it to old people or veterans or it's like, 
you know, we, we're still dealing with these same goddamn problems all these years later. It's like, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's infuriating. Like, you know, this is still a problem for old people getting treated like shit, you know? And yeah. once people reach a certain age, they get crammed into these nursing homes. And like, yeah. again, like you said, you know, more relevant now, it's like we cram them in these places and, you know, we, we saw so many, um, you know, COVID breakouts in these nursing homes just take white people out. Uh, and we were, you know, people are just trying to be so careful about it. And it's like super sad to watch, but you know, it's mm-hmm. we're, we, at a certain age. It's like, well, we're just keeping you alive now. And that makes me sad. And that's, you yeah, know, sometimes big real time. life is, is more sad than anything you can write. And, and that's sort of Romero's career. You know, it's like <laughs> the idea of, yeah. you know, that we would, it, when we die, our, our, brains would just be like well go to the mall and if you know every if there's a big major attack well let's go to the mall you know it's been parodied in in Shaun of the dead and and everything else like we'll go to the pub and wait for it all to blow over mm-hmm. um you know and it's something that's been used but it's yeah it's just the the human element of it you know and and seeing him like right at the beginning like you said those wraparound scenes when he's he's like bandaged up and bloody and it's almost that's hard just because seeing him in that state that's yeah. what we kick off with and i'm like oh god we're gonna have to watch him get to this state you sort of know going in that this is not going to be a fun one um yeah. and and i guess that was the job he was hired to do is you know make the, the sad realization of how these people are treated but um again i just don't know who that audience was and what were they going to show this to government and be like this is how the society treats it where you show it to young people and treat your elders better. Um, I don't know, man. Like it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing. I mean, that's why I wanted to have you on here and talk about it. Not just because it's sort of being talked about right now, but you know, with, with shutter picking it up, it's interesting, like looking at Romero's IMDB that this is going to be placed as a 2021 release yeah i saw that and i, I kind of hate that right yeah i mean it was that's not fair he's not even alive uh just because you found yeah. it you know put it down like we know exactly when it was shot we know the history of it, it just because it was you know released wide uh there were people who saw it in 73 not just that group it sounds like his wife said that they yeah. used it you know a, a little bit before shelving it so it's it's not like uh you know they filmed it put away the the film and never even finished editing um Again, I would be curi- very curious. Again, if they did like a, a physical release, I want I would love to watch how, and I love these on all the special features. How especially the Universal Monster set, they have like a whole, I think like hour long special feature about how they physically restore the films. I love. I'm I am such a mm. uh, uh, you know a sucker for that stuff. Watching how they took, uh, you know, like four different sources for Dracula and they went frame like cell by cell. And it's like, Oh, this one, this, this cell out of this print is the best. So we are going to splice it into this version of it. And, you know, finding literally the best cells out of every version and putting them together to get the best, uh, we can, I would love to see how they, how bad this was when they found it and what they did to restore it. And again, the history on how the process went, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. We're, we're so spoiled now in this day and age that we have something like shutter where, you know, even like the, all the original, um, film reels from Carpenter's Halloween were found like 10 years ago and they they were sitting in a box getting ready to be thrown out a a private collector. Uh, I think it's Billy Kirkus. I could be wrong. So sorry if I got that wrong, but, um, he acquired them and, 
you know, every, I think it's probably, I don't know if it's Anchor Bay or who, whoever keeps putting out a new version of Halloween every five years. Um, they went to him and basically wanted him to give those up for free. And he's been in a battle with them. And he's like, well, you know, these are, I know their value, you know, and yeah. And so they've been in the standstill and, you know, compass is notoriously cheap uh, and, and hard to deal with um, for licensing and stuff. But it's like, how have we had this that stuff sitting there? I want to see it, man. Like, you know, that's mm-hmm. one movie I've bought a hundred copies of, but you know, it's, we're so spoiled with the fact that, we something like this can be found and that someone you know that that she created his wife created the foundation just to um fund the restoration of it and get it out and we can just hit play on our on shutter and watch it whenever we goddamn please you know and yeah it's like and and people still like well it wasn't that scary like it's sat on the shelf since 73 and they finally found it and that's your reaction well it could have been scarier But but that's what I do love about the horror fans is that, like you said, going through the reviews and seeing people loving it. And and even though it's not it was never intended, like I'm curious, I'd be very curious to hear what I wish we George was still with us, obviously. And I would have loved to hear what if he would have been like, no, don't put this out. Or if he would have been like, (laughs) okay like let people see it. But, you know, cutting it as if it's a horror movie, like the Shutter trailer. Today was the first time I saw it when I went to download it for the show, and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I avoided the trailer when it came out because I'm like, I'm gonna watch it. I, I don't want to be influenced. I just want to go in yeah. and watch it. And the, I, I don't really agree with the way. That, but the, again, they have no. a product they have to sell, you know. Yeah. And how many people? I, but I also feel like if people, and maybe I'm just wrong because I, I'm surrounded by these kind of people who would just go watch a they watch a you know a Wheaties commercial directed by George Romero they don't care but um that would be me yeah but it's like I I think about like you know like younger people like I always forget there are younger people who are consuming this stuff and it's cool that you know they can they can watch this and and sort of discover that this guy wasn't just the zombie guy and and you know that filmmaking isn't always a passion piece but you can sort of take something that you're just hired to and and to do and and make it your own. You know, it's definitely a George thing. Uh, Very cool. Just the fact that we have this today. Yeah. And you mentioned the younger, um, the younger people who probably only experienced the zombie stuff. I wonder, I really wonder what they think of the whole, you know, the metaphor of everything and the surrealism of this, of this piece. Oh yeah. Maybe, maybe it's finally reaching the right audience. That it's well, I just wonder if it feels like it's going to be completely out of left field for some of these kids because um, that's not what you see in the Romero zombie movies. But if you really go back and watch his filmography, it, I enjoyed the surrealism because it was cool to see just George. I know he always has that. I'm not the biggest art film fan, but uh, I loved I, I love I loved just seeing him going full bore with 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 those concepts because. It's always there. I mean, Bruiser is a great example of that. On uh, on outside of reality, that that movie takes place. You know, um, and you know if you watch uh, like Season of the Witch, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on in there. Even the Dark Half, he's he does a lot of interesting things in the Dark Half outside of reality um, to get the point across that I think is pretty neat. So it's kind of it's it's cool seeing him just kind of go full bore with with those ideas. Yeah, because I mean, we we talked we touched on it a little bit earlier, but it's like people now don't realize like you know some of these directors 
he did this between two features, like it probably helped fund his next one. You know, who knows what? That's what I was wondering too. Yeah, if well, maybe this was like yeah to get the money for the next film. Yeah, I mean, you know, people. It's like people forget. You know, even most most people outside of that top one percent of filmmakers. You know, there's there's a million struggling filmmakers who do this, who have full time jobs and do this on the side. And the, I know so many filmmakers who do, you know, shoot weddings and they do, uh, you know, commercials and and that kind of stuff. It's exactly yeah. the same things still happen. You know, if people, if you can, if you can somehow find that balance to get paid to do what you love, you know, good on you. Like, mm-hmm. and still, yeah. and in this case, still make it your own. You know, it wasn't just like. You know, you don't go back and and watch his Mister Roger segments and be like, "Oh hell yeah, this is a Lost Romero film." Um, <laughs> but I, I have heard that the I haven't watched it, but I heard that the the Mister Rogers gets his tonsils out is the scariest segment he's ever done. <laughs> it's true. It is true. <laughs> I, I always think of that like GIF of him putting on that creepy clown mask, and I'm like, "Oh, who directed that?" You know, or uh, you think about like Rob Zombie talking about how he was like a production assistant on Pee Wee's Playhouse, and you know, it's. Yeah. It's like everybody had to start somewhere and, and do a weird job. And, you know, like I said, only like 1% of filmmakers get to that very top ec- uh, level that he did. And, you know, he, he's always going to be a, a legend. He's on like the mm-hmm. uh, I guess that's a whole different topic. But I'm like, you know, what's what's on the uh, what's on the Mount Rushmore of horror? Romero's got to be up there. Like you said I, earlier, he's he created agree. a whole genre himself. Mm-hmm. Uh and people can people can poke fun and and laugh at the at the thought of Romero having to do these commercials or shooting Mr. Rogers segments, but he didn't do porn like a lot of other yep. of our <laughs> greats have done to start out in. Well, is and Tarantino's recently sort of talked about it, 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 and you know something that a lot of people don't actually like to say out loud was you know he's like maybe um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is my last film because. I look at some of these older directors and they fizzle out rather than go out with on a, on a great film. And he's like, how many directors do you know went, went out on a great film and on their own terms, like other than yeah. directors who just died young, like Kubrick or something, you know? Um, yeah, it's true. It's true. And I can't even, I can't even say that about Kubrick cause eyes wide shut. Sorry. Nope. Not for me. Not, not, but still not as bad as you, you think of some of these other directors. And it's amazing. Like, uh, you know John Hughes. I'm not, not to. I'm not gonna try calling out so many names, but you think of like some of the crap that Hughes did at the end of his career, or even like when I was looking at Dean Cundey's like uh, IMDb once, I'm like, man, like he he did he he did all of Carpenter's movies up until he did like Jurassic Park for Spielberg, and then he was doing like some really like I don't remember his like Baby Geniuses or something just something just I'd missile oh, and I'm yeah. like, man, like what happens, you know, or, you know, Carpenter doing, uh, the ward or escape from yeah. LA, even not as yeah. that horrible, but it's like, or, uh, Ghost Go- of Ghosts of Mars. Yeah. And it's like, you know, Tarantino was sort of talking about that. Like he doesn't want to be that director that was like, well, you know, he, his early films are really good, but you know, his, his later stuff, he sort of feels like, he's like, why don't I just leave on a high note? You know, he's almost afraid to do that 10th film because what if it sucks and that's his legacy? Yeah. As, as much as I would love for all my favorite directors to keep going, he's Tarantino's got a good point. Cause 
I mean, even George, my favorite director of all time. I do not like Survival of the Dead at all. And I have tried so many times, tried so many times, and shut it off so many times. And it just makes me really sad. But, you know, when we did, we, uh, did Toby Hooper on Insane's, or on Insane's Games on the last episode of Attack of Killer Podcast, bonus episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was going through his filmography, putting that game together is like the last two decades when the guy was lucky enough to make a film it was gar direct video garbage yeah it's like and this is the guy who gave us texas chainsaw massacre for crying out loud yeah and poltergeist and yeah i mean just crazy it's, it's yeah it's it's interesting that he like i said no one really wants to say it out loud but he was like you know he faced it and he's like and he was even naming names i'm for, i'm for, like forgetting the the name of the director but the guy who did uh escape from alcatraz with clint eastwood he he mentioned he was like that movie's fantastic if that would have been the last movie he directed he'd be remembered as a great director but he did like 10 more shit films that he basically got paid to direct as a as a for hire director they were not his projects and now he's you know i, I can't remember his name for that reason you know <laughs> uh yeah. it's just sort of a bummer like it's just, it just makes you wonder, and, you know, we could do a full other podcast based on this topic, and maybe we should someday, but it just makes, I, I just, I'm fascinated by that, and I just wonder wh- what happens, what, right. what causes that to happen. Is it, is it Do like. Do you just get tired, tired or complacent, or. Yeah, I wonder that too. Is it the directors themselves, or is it just time catches up to them, like an athlete, where it's like, your, your director, your style of writing and directing is not relevant anymore. Um, cause you know, like even with Dean Cundy, like a cinematographer, uh, you know, maybe he just didn't keep up with the times as far as, you know, when things went from film to, to digital, the whole world sort of changed, you know, and, and going all the way back to when talkies turned into, or from silent films turned to talkies that changed the whole business. Um, yeah. you know, some of these old guys and it's definitely clear with like Carpenter. He, he will flat out tell you it's because he's lazy and he does not like directing films. He's like, you know, I wanted to make a whole career out of uh, making the stuff I wanted until I had enough money to sit on my ass and play video games and watch f- basketball. Like, and you know, when, when they ask him about like producing the fog remake, he's like, it's great. They, uh, they, you know, I sit on my couch, I put out my hand, they put cash in it. And now I'm a producer. Uh, <laughs> He's like, I worked my whole career to be able to make money from doing nothing. And he's very frank about that. And, you know, I, I, I wish some people were a little more honest like that because, sure. you know, you, you have people who would who definitely would, you know, oh, this is, you know, every time they have a new movie coming out talking about how it's their best one. Just the same with musicians. This is our best album. And then you hear it and yeah. it's like, yeah, you clearly phoned it in for this one. What What's your yeah. favorite Romero movie? Is it Don? It's Don. It it I I wish I could say something else because it just feels like such the, the typical um, answer, yeah. typical answer. But I guess it's typical a typical answer for a reason, right? Right. Yeah, but it's definitely Don. Which cut? Oh God, that that's a really good question. I don't know. Um, I'd have to just still say the theatrical cut because that's what I grew up with, right? But the European cut is great. The director's cut is is really good and. Um, and I love that kind of stuff too, man. When you get different cuts of the same movie, it's just, it always fascinates me on how you can get different themes and tones out of something based on just a completely different edit. So, um, yeah, if I were to, if you were to take the zombie films out of the equation, I would have to say my favorite Romero film is Knight Riders. 
Yeah, I, I was not a huge fan of it. I could appreciate it, but it's not something I'm going to revisit personally. Yeah. Um, I do need to get get in and watch a little more of his uh, deeper cuts. Like I've said, like I've seen the crazies. I really want to watch uh, OJ Simpson juice on the loose because <laughs> that was made in like 73. And yeah. uh, that was well before his uh, Bronco chase and before he was murdering. Uh, it's, it's funny just because the name juice on the loose is like, <laughs> you know, he was way ahead of his time. Romero was uh, uh, prophesizing this for, for 20 years, you know, um, it's cool that he did a Misfits music video. That's cool. Yeah, well, that Misfits video was a was a deal where um, he uh, to use a song in Bruiser and have the Misfits in Bruiser, and the Misfits are like, "Okay, that's cool, but can you direct this video for us?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." That's awesome. And and it's a bummer because it's a zomb- it's zombie themed. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> what Monkey Shines? That's a, a Stephen uh, King one, right? Or no, no, no? I, I was thinking no, I, for some reason I, I was thinking that was a, a King property. I can't remember the author on it. Um, it's nobody big, uh, but I do have a paperback of of that book. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a that's such a great underrated um, Romero movie. It's it's so good. Yeah, and, uh, I think about another like another one. I feel, oh, so go ahead. I was just gonna say another one. I feel like is highly highly underrated is Two Evil Eyes. I never, never even really heard of it, but um, I always look back on those like promos and and all the stuff around uh, Creepshow, and to me that was like a career high because it was just like a rock star moment. He was finally getting like, you know, recognized. Like this is George A. Fucking Romero. He's working with Savini yeah. uh, King. Like that was like to me like assembling the kings to make a a movie. I love that. Uh, yeah, it's a bummer because they were close. They were really good friends. I mean. It, it, around that time specifically, they were really, really close. Well, I, I think they were still really good friends all the way up to George's passing. But, uh, you know, there was just so many projects. It just sucks. There's so many King projects that that King wanted George to do, but the studios didn't want George. And and then and then after, you know, he made a few more movies and kind of got away from Stephen King. Um, well, I guess, I guess that's not true. He did, you know, he did another Stephen King movie with dark half and then, and then all these possibilities came up again, um, with, with Hollywood. And that's where things just fell to shit for poor George. Cause he ended up in director's hell for not making anything for several years, but it wasn't his fault because he just kept being in these like production productions that just wouldn't go anywhere. He was attached to do, um resident the first resident evil movie at one point god how amazing would that have been yeah um the mummy he was supposed to do the mummy at one point just all these projects just kept just kept getting pulled out from underneath them and and i think just that whole hollywood experience it just you hear that you hear that a lot with like carpenter and his hollywood experience or um like toby hooper and his hollywood experience um, but George's, I feel like is the saddest story. Cause like at least Toby and Carpenter got to make some Hollywood movies. George yeah. didn't get that. It just like, was like meaning production, meaning from meanings from hell that turned into nothing and couldn't get anything done after that. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, going to, I think, I don't remember where I went and maybe it was, it couldn't have been target. I wouldn't think they'd have it, but maybe I got it in the mail or something, but I had that 
that awesome like huge anchor bay dawn of the dead set with every cut and um i was at the i was going to community college and i brought it to class with me and this kid was like is that dawn of the dead like ultimate cut i'm like yeah and then it ended up being um, my friend kenny and we we started talking and then you know like a month later we're, we're carpooling to go meet bruce campbell and it's like just bringing that <laughs> dawn of the dead set to a community college intro to computers class one day nice. I, I made a friend you know and it's like you never do know and and just recently kara probably oh probably about this time last year she was like uh this is sort of weird but i'm sort of like wanting to watch movies that would be like relevant during um like uh, uh this whole like uh, COVID thing, this whole pandemic. And I'm like, here's Pontypool. Cause she's a radio DJ. Um, oh, here's nice. Pontypool. And, uh, you got to watch Dawn of the dead because that opening scene where, you know, they're on the TV and they're freaking out just sort of reminded me mm, of, of yeah. what was going on at the beginning where they're showing the death tolls and all that stuff. Uh, you know, just felt, felt very relevant. And, and again, his movies, just even amusement park, everything he was ahead of his time. Um, you know, very woke, as the kids would say. George Romero, <laughs> he was woke. Uh, very cool. Uh, you know, I, I think just a, a great director, a great legend, like I said, but would belong on that um, horror Mount Rushmore. Absolutely. So um, as we wrap up, I want to hear a little bit about what you got going for prescribed films. I know the last year nobody's really done anything as far as filming, but I do know that you yeah. guys are showing some films at a festival coming up. Yeah, we got some stuff in, uh, what's it called, the Sneak Alley Festival film? I believe that's what it's called. Yeah. um, Yeah. uh, The last short that we shot called Garbage Day, which is like two years old now, uh, that's playing. And then... Oh, um, I almost forgot. What do you have coming up for a big event here soon with all kinds of awesome special guests in its own film festival? (laughs) Yeah, we also got Halloween of Palooza is yes. back Woo-hoo. after taking a year off. We're back in October. Um, we're back in full force. So, yeah, with uh, with some really sweet guests. Um, I say, who who have you announced? I know. I'm trying to remember who we've announced. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna get you to just announce uh, people that haven't been out yet. <laughs> Did we we announced? It's it, it's tying it back to George Romero. I think we announced lynn lowry didn't we yep yeah yeah so and she was in the crazies so yeah there you go as i say uh I, I was like okay he's not gonna say a name otherwise i'd have i would just edit it out for you but or bleep it out you know like <laughs> but uh that's coming up in october in a tumble if you've never been and you're listening to this um well, I'm, I'm surprised to find out that I have listeners that don't know me, because why would you listen to this if you're not? I just feel like everybody listens <laughs> to a good show. Come on. I, I feel like people listen to it because they owe me a favor. But then I hear like I, I talked to like uh, someone today that was on, you know, the a board at the Capitol with me. He's like, I listened to your Goldfinger episode. and That was really good. I'm like, why did you listen to it? But, uh, you know, I'm, if, if you're listening to this and you're in the Midwest anywhere, this is a blast it's and i'm not just saying this because they're my friends and because i usually partake in something during it but um you know they're always hustling you guys are always you're just like (laughs) most of my guests you got you know 20 things going on at once whether you if you're not shooting a film you're recording a podcast and you know always doing something i'm just glad i found a a free night for that you know you guys have been (laughs) making independent films for what's it been now it's officially 21 years. Wow. It sucks. Our 20th anniversary was we spent yeah, on the shelf. Desires to do all this stuff for the our 20th anniversary, and we did nothing because of COVID. 
Yeah, it sort of took it's out like, a lot of anniversaries. Is that the universe trying to tell us something? Yeah. You guys have prevailed through all of it. You'd sue the thick and thin. I mean, <laughs> you. Well, you guys even got your, like, you know, big movie thing. I mean, that's a whole different podcast that we could talk about. But it, it was a zombie movie. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, and going all the way back to your influences, you got to make a big zombie movie here in Iowa. And uh, just always thought that was really cool. But. Um, yeah. yeah, the George Romero connections will never apparently leave me in my as being a filmmaker myself because I made my zombie movie Collapse, Demonica, which isn't a zombie movie, but it's basically, as far as filmmaking experiences go, it's my Dawn of the Dead because we've shot in, we shot overnights in a skating rink, just like George shooting overnights in a mall. Awesome. Well, let people know where they can find... Uh, your podcast where they can find uh, prescribed films or they can find more information on Halloween Palooza, everything, just let, just spill it all out, vomit all over my audience. Well, I'll start with the umbrella to everything. And that is prescribedfilms.com. That's that you can find links to Halloween Palooza and everything in the, you know, the podcast, all that stuff from, from there. But uh, if you don't want to start there, you know, you got uh, attack of the killer podcast.com, Halloween Palooza.com. Um, you, all of that stuff is also on Facebook. You can find us all over Facebook. Um, uh, Prescribed Films has a YouTube channel. Uh, Prescribed Films, uh, Attack Killer Podcast has a YouTube channel. Um, yeah, we're we got we got shit everywhere. <laughs> if you somehow listen to this entire episode and uh, you you did not care about spoilers, um, and you still want to watch Amusement Park. Get on Shutter, um, and I I always plug this anyways. Uh, use the code AOTKP, and you get a free month, so you can watch this for free. Um, and and as uh, the last drive-in wraps up, this is a good time to take a free month because you can binge watch all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know if you're really cheap and just want to use that free month, this is only an hour long. The amusement park we've talked about it longer than it actually <laughs> is, um, which very common, but. Uh, <laughs> Almost twice as long, but um, (laughs) that's okay, because I knew having you on for Romero was the right choice. I knew exactly that. I was like, it's only a 53-minute movie, but we're going to definitely make a full episode out of it. And uh, (laughs) I could talk Romero all day. And that's something I I plan to have you back on to to maybe uh, fill in some of these holes I have as far as his... Like, uh, I think they're talking about... People were... I think it's uh, Severin was talking... They were teasing a... Um, vampire movie ended up being the the Andy Warhol one, uh, something oh, blood. Yeah. But people were really excited that they were gonna. They thought Martin was coming out in 4K, and I felt sort of bad for them because there's they're in a no win situation. They start teasing it, and people are like yes, Martin, Martin, and then they're yeah. like it's this, and they're like but I wanted Martin. I'm like well, uh, maybe you shouldn't have teased it so much. But um, it's good to see that it's people a- are still hungry for that. Yeah. Oh yeah, and definitely yeah, definitely have me back when for martin if you do martin because i oh, i love that movie that one that one's up there with night riders for me so and i would be really excited to hear your thoughts on it excellent well thanks again for coming on i you know we, thanks for having me. yeah we talk you know almost every day on on uh the internet but just great to <laughs> hear your voice and i get i've been yes. getting to see you in person again lately so yes. uh, it's just finally you know this is coming to an end and we can gather again and, and hopefully get out and mm-hmm. do some more live shows and go to cons and just enjoy life again and and film festivals and everything it's just you know it's finally coming back and and uh we're on the other side of things so uh yeah man thanks so much again and anytime uh you want to talk romero you're welcome back on <laughs> awesome yay 
Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.